Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching. My name is Jared Piles and with me is Dr. Rob McDowell. We are continuing our series on generative AI, talking about the application that various experts in the field are how and how they are using uh, AI in their um, day-to-day practice. Yep. And today we are honored to have uh, Dr. Jules White. He is a professor and senior advisor to the Chancellor for Generative AI and Education at Vanderbilt University. Hello, Dr. White. Welcome, Dr. White. Yeah, thank you for having me. So we like to ask um, all of our guests when they first come on, just give us a kind of a boilerplate of um, where do you teach? What do you teach? What's your discipline? How'd you end up in higher ed and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'm a professor in computer science at Vanderbilt. And up until, I guess, last year around December, I was really focused on teaching cybersecurity and software engineering. So how do we build software and how do we make sure it's secure? Um, and that had been my focus uh, for a while. And I did mobile computing in the past, a variety of different things. And then Chad GPT happened. And, and I always describe it as kind of like, you know, uh, it was like, I'm a researcher staring up into the stars saying, I promise in five years, we'll make it to that planet. And then I turned around and a UFO had landed. And that's the way that Chad GPT fell. And since uh, that time, you know, my focus has been on teaching either last semester I was teaching uh, um, software engineering with AI um, and teaching um, a generative AI core undergraduate course that we created um, at the undergraduate level for anybody, a very large one. And so I've, I've been focused on that. And so I, I started my, uh, my journey and I went into industry and I worked for IBM for a while and, and doing a, a software development um, and then I left industry and I worked as an artist living off of my artwork for about three years. And then I ended up going back and getting my PhD because I knew I wanted to be a professor mm. and um, ended up uh, uh, in computer science because I was really excited about uh, doing work with software and building it. And, and I have to say the thing that's been really fun about ChatGPT and Anthropics, Claude and all these large language models is that I've never been as excited in my career as I am right now. Like, like there have been points in my career where I was really excited about what was happening. It was really fun, but nothing has touched the last year in terms of like the capability and potential to transform things and do new things. It's like, you know, if I go back to my art career, it's like if somebody handed you a completely new medium that nobody had ever seen before that can do all kinds of beautiful, amazing things. Of course it has its flaws, but it can do just fundamentally, you know, amazing new things. And that's kind of like it's the way it's felt. It's like this new medium has been handed to me um, that I've gotten to explore over the last year and then get to teach people about. It's almost like a blank canvas, if you will. Absolutely. But, yeah. Absolutely. But you made a, a statement that intrigues me. Uh, nothing has touched it. Nothing has touched it. What, can you expand upon that a little bit more? What do you mean? Well... If, you know, I, I say that if you had in, you know, November 1st of uh, 
last year. Well, I say last year, I guess I should say November 1st of 2022. If you had said to me, like, there's this thing called ChatGPT and it's going to come out and, you know, in a month or so, everybody's going to get access to it. And here's what it's going to be able to do. I would have said, not going to happen, not going to be in my lifetime, complete fantasy. I will not live to see it. Mm. So, you know, this is not something that I thought people fundamentally are still underestimating how transformative this is from a computing perspective versus everything that we've done before. And so, you know, as a computer scientist, a lot of my experience with it is it's like, it feels like in the science fiction movies, when you see the, the scientists or the lucky ones who get to go and explore the spaceship that's in area 51 and like (laughs) discover how do we use this technology and do new things with it. It feels a bit like that because it's, it's, fundamentally transformative. So how has it been transforming your career specifically in education? You you had mentioned that you're teaching a course you taught last semester, a course for all undergrads. And then I'm assuming you're also doing something with, uh, based on what you said, generating code, generating software programs in, with the use of AI. So programming with AI. Speak to it a little bit more there. Yeah, so I, I would say that I taught on exact opposite ends of the spectrum last semester. So um, the generative AI course, there were no prerequisites. Anybody could take it. And it basically taught people how to do prompt engineering, how these things worked, so that anybody could come in and you know be able to master and use these things effectively, use these tools effectively. And then on the other end of the spectrum was a graduate course uh, mostly PhD students, that was on how do we use this technology to transform what we can do with software engineering, but also how do we understand what it can and cannot do in terms of creating software. And so we had graduate students who were actually doing fundamental research in the class of like, you know, answering basic questions about what can it do? What can it not do? You know, how do we improve what it does from a creation of software perspective? Um, so they were very two very opposite end of the spectrum classes, um, but very interesting um, um, experiences and seeing what people said. So one of the, one of the most fun things I can uh, you know examples is when I saw people that had you know started the semester and like oh yeah I've heard about ChatGPT right it, you know supposedly mm. you know you can answer some questions or write poems right but then you see people have that light bulb moment where they can. You know, they really understand how it can do something really impactful for them. So I had a student who came up to me after class, maybe the first week of the generative AI class. And he said something to the effect of like, when um, when I use it, I feel like my brain turns off. Hmm. Like, I'm just kind of like, I'm not really engaging anymore. And, and, and I, it, it makes me uncomfortable with this technology. I'm not really happy with it. Hmm. And then we start going through the course and maybe a month in, he comes in and he was working in a lab. Um, and I, I apologize because I don't remember the details of the lab he was working in. But he basically said, we collect all this data from these microscopes. We have this really difficult, laborious process to go and do this type of clustering analysis on the data. Um, and I went in and using what I had learned, using um, Chad GPT advanced data analysis, I was able to do all of this, you know, basically like, 10 or 100 times faster. Something that would have taken weeks, I can condense it down to an hour or two. 
And I went and showed the postdoc and she was over the moon excited about this and then having me teach her. And then he was so excited about what he was doing and it, and it had like touched him. He realized like, oh, wait a minute. I can use it in this completely different way. And what I, the way I used it was really creative. Mm. You know, I thought of a new way to use it. I applied it. It took my creative thought, my really figuring out how to solve the problems and apply it. And and then he was super excited and engaged and, and, and passionate about it. And so that that was the really fun experience. It seemed when people, you know, got to that point where they realized, oh, it doesn't have to just be some very surface level way of using it, but it can really transform what I can do and the depth that I can do things. If you have a student or a faculty member that um, is apprehensive like that towards engaging with it, it could be for various reasons. In order to use generative AI and ChatGPT well, you have, there's a kind of a pretty steep mountain to climb before you uh, can really feel comfortable using it. So what advice would you give or maybe some pointers that you would give a student or a faculty member um, on just getting started uh, in using these things? Well, I, I usually start by saying, you know, first, I always try to show people examples that are very close to them and, and valuable to them. Not, not the random stuff that we're seeing in the news um, or not this ethereal discussion of AI and robots and all this stuff. But let's look at some concrete examples that are useful to you and that you would care about. And so I usually start there. Um, and so the more you know about who you're talking to and the examples they care about, the more you can work through that. That That's like, I think, the number one most important thing. I think the second thing is to sort of reframe what it is. I don't talk about it and think about it in terms of artificial intelligence that's going to replace people. <laughs> I think of it in terms of augmented intelligence where it's going to amplify mm -hmm. your fundamental creativity and critical thinking skills if you know how to harness it and use it correctly. And so I tell people, look, it's all about using it in an augmented intelligence way. So one, that means you have to have something to augment and amplify from the beginning. If you don't have the fundamental knowledge or skills, it can't augment or amplify something that's not there and you won't be able to assess its output so it won't work well. And then two, you also, like any other tool, it's like, it's like the exoskeleton for the mind. Well, you have to learn how to drive that exoskeleton. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not free and it's going to take some time and you have to put some work in, but there is a huge payoff that comes from, from doing it. And then the third thing that I always tell students is I say, look, you may be tempted to go and do things like copy and paste somebody else's question into ChatGPT and then copy and paste um, ChatGPT's answer back into their, you know, assessment. But you've basically done nothing. You've taken somebody else's question and some and and the tool's answer, and all you've done is is become a human copy and paste. And that is the one job that I can absolutely guarantee you we can automate. That job will be replaced by AI. So you want to guarantee that you have no place and no work in the future world. Continue to do that because that is something I can guarantee you we can do. Uh, now, if you, you know, no nothing and we can take care question, of that for you. <laughs> if you're asking the great question that's going into the tool, you know, you're doing something. And then if you're taking the output of it and you're looking at it and you're reacting to it and you're using it to cha change what the next question is, or you're editing the output. So I'd always say students is everything that comes out of it is draft. Mm. And your goal is to improve on what it's produced or ask a better next question 
or take it in a different direction or combine it with something else interesting. Like you're, you're, you should be the master sort of orchestrator of the symphony, you know? And if you're not, if you're not editing, if you're not combining, if you're not directing, if you're not asking great questions or thinking of new questions or getting inspired, you're moving in the wrong direction. And I would say one simple thing that people can do to make sure they're always using the tool well is never ask for one of anything. Never ask for one answer. Never ask for one email. Never ask for one anything. Always ask for three options at least. And then you are going to be forced to read all of them and make your own judgment as which ones is better. And then you get stay engaged. It's like the simplest little thing you can do to stay engaged with the, with the process. So I'm going to change the output of Dr. White GPT here for a moment. And uh, we're going to ask you to address faculty, not just students, but faculty who are, you know, maybe in the same boat as that student that you mentioned just a moment ago, where it's like, I really don't like this. Or they say, you know, I don't like technology. Um, how would you address those faculty? How would you encourage them in terms of using AI to augment what they do? So I think that I, I start from the position for within disciplines of like, in, in a class, each individual faculty member needs to decide what's right for their class. You know, who am I to say how you should teach or how you, if you should or should not use it in your class? I have no business doing that. But at the same time, you should make sure that you educate yourself to a reasonable degree about what it is, what it can do, and actually understand it before you discard it and say that it should not be used in your class or that it does not have a role. And I think that it's very important to deeply understand it before you dismiss it. At the same time, um, I don't think that because it doesn't make sense in your class to simply generalize that and say, well, it doesn't make sense in anybody's class. Mm. It's this terrible technology. It's not going to help anything. It's going to hurt education. That that doesn't help anything. And that's that's what what may make that may be true in your class. There may be no role for it. But I can guarantee you in my class that is absolutely not the case. And so we should focus on our individual classes, our individual disciplines, really thinking about it, but we should also deeply understand it. And mm. the starting point, like anything, is we have to educate ourselves as faculty. And if you're not actively engaged and trying to use it and try to understand it and work with it, and you don't have to understand the underlying technology of how large, large language models work and how they're trained to a deep degree, you just need to go and begin interacting with it and experimenting and looking at what people are doing from a pedagogical perspective learning some basic prompt engineering, take my class on Coursera, <laughs> I would highly recommend, um, and plug for my own class. But, you know, and then if you get to the end of that and you say, look, it's just, there's just not a role for it and here's why, well, that's great. And then you have a rationale for your class of why you're not doing it. But then accept the fact that there are different times and places for, for technology. And I think at the overall perspective, if I just back up a little bit, and one thing that really sort of shocked and frustrated me um, in spring of 23 was that I was teaching a software engineering class. And right up from the beginning, I said, everybody in this class needs to go look at this. You need to be using it in your projects. It's going to help you. I had classes where I taught how to use it. And then I went through the semester 
And I asked, like, how many people are using it? And like only a quarter of the class was. Mm. And I started talking to people. And what I realized was there was so much discussion of this being a tool that's used for cheating, Mm. a tool that's going to destroy education, that students felt outright scared Mm. or wrong if they went and engaged with it. And that, to me, is just really upsetting because, like, this is not, like, something that's going to, like, be a flash in the pan and go, wow, this is going to fundamentally transform work and society. Industry is going to expect it. And we should not be creating a culture of fear where our students feel like they can't go and educate themselves on something important. And that's, that's or engage with something and learn about about something that's really important. That's the opposite of what we should be doing. We shouldn't be dissuading students from, you know, gaining expertise and learning. And so I think one of the things we have to be really careful of is how we shape the conversation. It's perfectly okay to say, look, in this class, it doesn't make sense to use it. And here are the reasons. And I usually take it back to augmented intelligence. I'm like, look, you have to take the exoskeleton off to make sure there's something to augment and build on. <laughs> yeah. You know, or it's like sometimes you have to take the exoskeleton off so that you don't atrophy some part of you if it can do that piece really well. Mm. But at the same time, like, you know, we shouldn't make it this, you know, where we're saying, oh, if you use that, you're stupid or you're lacking creativity or you're hurting yourself. Like these big blanket statements that usually come out of, a lack of actual fundamental understanding of how that discipline is using it and why it's beneficial to that discipline, I don't think are useful. And then it creates this culture where nobody wants to touch it. And that's the worst thing we can do for our students because they're going to need to engage with it when they get out in the workforce. There's no question. Yeah. You just hit on my next question, which is, you know, we're, you know, we, we often forget that the goal of education is prepare students for the future. Um, where do you see this heading as far as Chad GBT? Like, what does it look like to you, either in education or in the a student workplace down the road? Where, where do you see it heading? Well, I mean, I think we're at the, you know, sometimes people say, you know, where are we on the Gartner hype curve? You know, <laughs> are we, have we reached peak, we reached peak generative AI yet? I'm like, we haven't even gotten on the curve for what I think this thing's going to do. Like, I don't, I don't even think we're beginning. This is so transformative from a, if we look at it, I'm going to just stick to my domain. Okay. If we look at it from a computing perspective, first off, it can do things in computing that we have never, ever been close to doing before. And so, um, you know, if I say, if I upload my PowerPoint slide deck of 120 slides and I say, act as a skeptic of everything I say, identify my key assumptions and generate 10 hard questions for me. Wow. It can do a phenomenal job of it. And mm. um, and you know where I got that one? I got that from the workplace because I talked to people in investment banking who said, the way we're going to start using it is we're going to take our deal decks and our deal presentations and we're going to put that in and we're going to say, we want you to look at all of our assumptions and challenge all of them because we wow. want to make sure that we value the deal per- correctly and that our the investors and the people we're talking to don't blindside us with something we did not see. Oh, wow. That nothing in computing we've ever had was no. close to that. And to be able to just do it by saying, hey, act as a skeptic, identify my assumptions and generate hard questions, nothing has looked like that. And then the second piece of it is, is that it radically changes our interface to computing. So before you had the GUI where you could go and do whatever 
was baked into the buttons that were available and the menus that were available and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Or you could be a programmer like me and at great time and cost, you could go and do whatever you wanted, but it was really expensive, time consuming, hard to do. We took a ton of skill and this is something that sits like completely in the center. It allows you to go and just intuitively and in natural language say, I want to do this, this, and this, and it can go and do it. And it's essentially programming but it's a completely intuitive interface. So it completely changes the way that we control and harness computing. Oh, yeah. And you put those two things together and that's wildly impactful on work. So you go to the workplace and you're like, okay, I need to do X. And maybe X before was something that you couldn't do because not, you know, there's this program, but it didn't quite do it. And then there's this program and it didn't quite do it. So you did all this manual labor. And now you have somebody who's smart who's sitting in the office and they say, I need to do X and here's how you're going to do it. And you tell the generative AI, it goes, takes the data and it does it. And it's something transformative. Even simple things like um, GPT-4 vision. One of the demos that I do is I show people, I'm like, okay, look, here's a catering menu. I take a picture of the catering menu and I'm like, okay, I'm having a meeting and I need an order for 15 people. Draft the order and draft the email with the order. And it goes, here's the items you need to order from this catering menu for 15 people. They're like, okay, great. But I also have some people who have nut allergies. Is all a, you know, any of these things potentially have nuts? Oh, that that item right there will remove it and mm -hmm. replace it with this. You know, you name it, there's those types of things are going to be transformed by it. And so students have to be prepared to engage with it. Now, how it's going to impact every different industry, I think is really hard to predict. But the one thing that's about to, well, it's happening right now is that the tools that have it baked in are starting to be released. So before it was like, we got this far by copying and pasting into a chat interface. And the next layer is you go into Microsoft Word or you go into Microsoft Office or whatever tool it is, your Google you know, G Suite, and it's right there baked into it with access to everything in that tool. And what, that's when things are really going to start transforming is that more and more people get access to these tools in the workplace and have, and there's comfort of everybody that we've got all the legal agreements in place that we're happy to feed it our data. It's going to just explode in terms of how fast this is going to start moving. Mm. And then when people, all these individual companies, once they start building groups that are really quickly innovating and using it to transform how they do computing and how they solve problems and tasks, um, that that's when things are going to really take off. So so my prediction is, is that, I mean, I thought last year was wild, but I think next year is going to be even wilder um, oh, wow. because of these tools that are coming out. We should have you on this time next year as well, yeah. just to see. Yeah, the, sure. The wilder of 2024. Yeah, that's right. It, it's almost like any kind of technology integration. Like I come from uh, the K-12 space and we spend a lot of time talking about tech integration and and the it's 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 the same thing. I mean, it's the apprehension. It's the well, this is going to ruin education. Or I remember having this d discussion with a couple uh, educators I used to work with, talking about Google Docs. Like it's going to ruin handwriting. It's going to ruin you know spell check, and it's the end of the world and stuff. And they don't they that's always the first reaction to something new like that. But it's then when you you know get them into practicing and just starting the process, they start to see, oh, well, this can benefit me in some way. I can have my students collaborate in this Google Doc instead of doing 
You know, I'm not limited to just the in-class time to, for them to work on this project together. They can do it at home and they can, you know, the same document together and stuff like that. So I have a question on the Jules White AI performance curve in terms of models. Right now, I think most of us would say ChatGPT is the leader. Would you agree with that statement? GPT-4 is probably the leader right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I need I, to well, be I, precise. I, I, actually, I caveat that. Turbo? I, well, I think it depends. I think it depends on a, on each individual task. It really depends. So in general, people tend to use GPT-4 and get the best results for a wide variety of things. Okay. But there's lots of tasks where like Anthropics Claude, in my experience, is better. Um, and then there's like new competitors, like this new Mistral um, uh, model that was released. Mm -hmm. That's really good in, in different cases. So it really depends. And I've heard all kinds of people who are who tell me like, in this case, I'm using this particular model because I get better performance out of it. GPT-4 is like a good general starting point that works for you know a lot of things really well. Um, or GPT-4 Turbo, you know, whatever the current flavor is. Um, but there are lots of other really, I would say, close or good competitors. Anthropics Claude is one, and now Mistral's um, model is definitely one of them. So Anthropics Claude 1 or 2? Which one? My perspective is always use the latest from each one. So okay. Claude, I think Claude it's 2.1 two, or whatever yeah. the latest version is. Um, you know, I, I think of this as kind of different in some respects in that, you know, I think some of the most important tasks to use it for are ones where the quality and reasoning is really, really important. And so, like, I'm willing to pay for a 10% better outcome. And I'm really, like, because most of the tasks that I'm really benefiting from, you know, the difference in price, potentially, that I might be paying to do the task mm -hmm. pales in comparison to the cost for me to do it myself okay. by hand. Because it would take me so much longer to, you know, do it without the tool that whatever cost it's giving me, you know, is is negligible compared to my time cost or the actual cost of my salary for that time or mm. for whatever person is doing it. Okay. And then you said Mistral. Is that the one that uh, also works alongside the uh, AI platform that you can get going on your own machine? Yes. Yeah, so it's an open source model um, released by a French company. And so it's perfectly you know, free. You can download it and use it yourself. Now, it's free to obtain it, but then to run it, you need a fairly um, substantial <laughs> piece of computing hardware to run it and to run, have it run fast enough for you. I mean, there's all kinds of projects to run it on your laptop and things like that. But like, if you were you know, used to like just going and logging into ChatGPT, and having ChatGPT be really fast and this nice user interface, it's not that out of the box. You have okay. to be sort of more install it and use it, do some things. But it'll it'll create probably an open source platform that a lot of people go and build ChatGPT like experiences on top of that, you know, sit within some company's data center and never, you know, data never leaves. Okay. Well, Dr. White, we appreciate you coming on uh, and talking about um, generative AI with us today. It was definitely worthwhile, and we, yes. we, we appreciate your time. Yeah, appreciate it. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to have him on again because there's Absolutely. just – I have more questions now, more things I'd like to hear him yeah. if, if you're willing, discuss. we'd love to have, have you back on 
um, sometime yeah, sure. in the near future. I'd be happy to. All right. That was Dr. Jules White from Vanderbilt University. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe and leave us a review uh, and check out our blog at uh, cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog. And we'll see you next time.